Our third co-host is, uh, wait, Throwing that a wasn't tantrum. even her, was that it? That was her. Oh, okay. That was her. That was her pitiful, woe is me, meow. She can't go outside in the 108 degree yeah. weather. Yeah, like, I'm a bad guy because I don't let her go outside and burn her little You're toe beams. bad cat mom. Yeah, how dare I? <laughs> Apparently they think so because the little kiddos broke my best cat mom ever mug today. And I'm like, what are you trying to say, guys? That's pretty major symbol. I know, right? I'm like, all right, rude. They're like, this is what we think of this cat mug. Right? I, I, can't. I, just... I was very upset. Uh, well, hello. Oh, I haven't hi. seen you in like, since the last recording. Two weeks. Wait, no, I cooked. Oh yeah, you cooked. That cooked. feels like years ago. It does. Hi. That was, hi, Anya. Anya's mad because she wasn't invited. I made tacos. Yeah, those were good tacos. And we watched the Penn Badgley movie. Oh, the Stepfather? Step- yes, yeah. Stepfather, which was really was so horrible. obnoxious <laughs> and um, a very young Amber Heard pre-Johnny Depp abuse <laughs> yeah. is in it. And she Awful. just... Terrible. Her oh. character... It's not even her. It was no. literally this. She plays obviously like the girlfriend to Penn Badgley, but in every other scene, she's practically naked. So mm-hmm. you just have to know that the director was like trying to find whatever excuse he could yeah. to. Well, plus her put character her in was like close as possible. The only reason she was there was Penn Badgley's character's girlfriend. And then on top of that, she was a bad girlfriend. I yeah. mean, a normal high school girlfriend, but like a bad yeah. girlfriend. Like, not very, very selfish. not supportive, doesn't mm-hmm. listen to the boyfriends. Um, Do you agree, Anya? Yeah. Yeah, Anya was like, I'll you be concur? his girlfriend. <laughs> you concur? <laughs> okay. All right, you're going to come up in my face? That's cool. <laughs> Other than that, you've been having a pretty gnarly week, right? Uh, I've been having a rough couple months. <laughs> yeah. But no, the good news is, is that I am officially going into my real classification. That's good. So I don't have to work three different. Yeah, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cat's getting I've burned decided, out. Yeah, I'm, I am burnt out. I'm already there. But I've decided to take a week off. Good. I didn't get the week I wanted, but it's okay because I still got a week. So. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the important thing. So when's yeah. that going to be? The 16th. So I have jury duty on the 17th. So August 16th. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. So yeah. soon. Yeah. That's good. You yeah. need it. Yeah. Cat gets cranky when she's I get out. mean. <laughs> Well, that's like, that's always the thing. I know I've had a couple of friends who are burned out and I'm like, your mental health is more important than anything else. Yeah. Because if, if you don't listen to your body, your body will shut down. Yeah. So if you are feeling that kind of stress, take the time off. Yeah. And I have, I, I'm really grateful for the boss I have. Cause I, I told her, I didn't, yeah. I, I told her, I was like, look, I'm burned out. I need a week off to recharge and get back in the game and get back to equilibrium and then yeah and she was like great go for that's it it's really good <laughs> yeah. i have a i have a very supportive boss too with everything that's been going on with Isn't me that amazing it is it well, feels that's, great <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be yeah that's why like i've always been pretty good at picking my teams and 
you know this, like I had an opportunity to move from my old team a couple of times, but, um, it just didn't feel right. It did not feel, I knew it wouldn't be right. And I have to make sure I respect the people I work for. Otherwise I won't be happy. And if I'm not happy, I won't be productive. Yeah. So I, that's, I waited a year (laughs) to choose the right team. That's how I'm feeling right now. I'm just, I don't, not that I don't care because I still care, but like, I'm just like, I, I just don't care as much as I normally do. And I'm just like, you know what? You figure it out. I'm not like, it's one of those things. Well, yeah, it was literally not your problem. Yeah. That's I mean. Your other issue. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. Like, like usually I help people even though it's not my problem. But this, these past couple of weeks, I'm like, no, fuck off. Do it yourself. You're a big girl. That's you got big girl response. panties. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm learning to unlearn right now is. Yeah. When I notice I have a, a tendency to, if a friend, you or one yeah. of those friends is having a bad day, I automatically want to go and, and fix it. And it's yeah. like, not my responsibility. Yeah. Um, I can be there Yeah, if you need me to be there, but it's not my place to. So it works out for us. Cause I, if I'm having a bad day, I usually don't want anyone near me. Like, yeah, I'm usually just like, no, everyone stay away. I, what do I call it? I call it turtling where I go into my yeah. shell and I hide and just recoup and get back to. <laughs> but you were still able to come over. Like yeah. I was like, oh, you got a lot going on. So I offered to cook. Well, I was already cooking dinner. So yeah. I was like, would you like some of my dinner? <laughs> we'll watch a movie. I, share. <laughs> I will make sure you don't have to worry about anything and I will take care of it. It was nice. Good. It was nice. I love how we started right off the bat. Therapy Treehouse. Of that course. was good. <laughs> therapy is incredibly important. Yes. Anya is an advocate. Anya needs some freaking therapy. <laughs> don't ring the bells. <laughs> Oh my god! He's stuck. There are bells on my doorknob. Um. Anyway, you are not. She is totally stuck. <laughs> okay, you tell them what they're listening to. So you guys are listening to difficult damsels. Um, what, what the one who is saving my cat is Rachel, and then I'm Cat. Oh, you didn't even need to save her. Yeah, that sounds right. You get up to save her, and then she's like, "I'm fine," and then runs away. And you're like, "What?" The- <laughs> and Difficult Damsels is a history oh, yeah. slash kind of comedy podcast kind about comedy. badass women from history. Hell yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I decided to um, copy Kat because Hi. I thought it was brilliant how last time she had pictures queued up for me. Hell so yeah. I've got pictures queued up for Kat. She has pictures. She has maps. We're hearing cat toys jingle in the background. Uh. <laughs> Right, so we are on episode 19, which is the Drunk Sisters. Drunk Sisters. Drunk Sisters. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember we mentioned them during Agrippina's episode, I think, in the historical context? And you were like, who were the Drunk Sisters? Was it sisters? Agrippina or was it Cleopatra? Agrippina. Oh, okay. As you're going to find out, it's the same exact time period. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the Drunk Sisters are two Vietnamese folk heroines that led the first Vietnamese independence movement against the Chinese Han Dynasty that had been occupying what is now northern-day Vietnam during the first century. They often get lost to history on the western side of the world because this is also the same time period where the Roman Empire is beginning to expand. But over in southern Asia, the Trung sisters were an example of feminine power and action that was rare and unique to this part of the world. Their story is one that transcends itself into that of legend and has become a battle cry for resistance against imperialism and oppression. Hell yeah. I, earlier we were not recording. I had, was looking at her maps and she has the Han Dynasty and that's about like all I know of this region. And it's not even this region. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I honestly, I know the Han dynasty was a dynasty of the Chinese yeah. empire. I don't know much more beyond that. Yeah. There is a point. I do have a few Chinese empresses on my list. I'm excited. I like when we get into, like, obviously I love Roman and English yeah. stuff too, but I like when we get into different. We go somewhere and... else. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be, it's, it's a very interesting story. So yeah. I'm excited to hear it from you. Well, so a little bit of historical context time. From 9 CE to 23 CE, Wang Meng temporarily overthrows the Han Dynasty in China and establishes the Xin Dynasty. In 14 CE, Emperor Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, dies. Stupid Octavian. (laughs) Go listen to the Cleopatra episodes. (laughs) You'll understand. (laughs) In 15 CE, Agrippina the Younger is born. Ah. In 25 CE, the Han Dynasty is restored by Lu Shu. In 30 CE, Bodica of the Iceni tribe in southern England is born. (laughs) In 33 CE, Jesus Christ is allegedly crucified by the Romans. In 37 CE, Caligula becomes the emperor of Rome. And from 40 to 43 CE, revolts erupt in ancient Vietnam initiated by the Trunk Sisters. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Nice segue. (laughs) So for the last couple of months, we have been focusing on the western side of the world over in Greece, Rome, and Egypt. Today we will visit another empire that existed around the same time, but over in Asia. I've seen some of the names written in this story, um, written in both Chinese and Vietnamese, and I've done my best to use the Vietnamese names for the people that come from ancient Vietnam, and the Chinese names for the people that come from China. Um, but it was a little confusing trying to figure out which was which. So yeah. please bear with me. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, this is definitely not my expertise. <laughs> now, this story takes place in ancient Vietnam almost 2,000 years ago. The area was not a unified country and was instead a collection of small kingdoms and tribes. The area we will be focusing on today is in northern Vietnam around the Red River Delta Plains near modern-day Hanoi. Right there. So if you're looking at a map of Vietnam, the Red River Delta Plains, basically the top portion of modern-day Vietnam, it's wider. Mm. And then central is where it gets very thin and narrow and then into southern Vietnam. We're focusing on the northern portion. Uh, We will post all the maps, obviously. Now, the Chinese called the local people that settled along the Ma River the Lak people due to the irrigation systems they used to water their rice fields. Long before the Trung sisters ever entered the picture, there was a long history of tension that existed between the Lak people and their neighbors to the north, which would have been the Han Dynasty. People from this area of ancient Vietnam generally avoided their northern neighbors, noticing how powerful, dangerous, and greedy for expansionism they were. Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we're just going to let you Just uh, leave us alone over here, please. We're not thanks. here. <laughs> now, this area of ancient Vietnam does end up getting conquered by China in 111 BCE and would hold dominion over the area for nearly 1,000 years. Yeah. Despite this, the Lok people would end up retaining their culture and resist attempts made at assimilation that was unique to almost every other kingdom of the time that had been conquered. This pride in identity and nationalism will create a rebellious spirit in the Lok people that will challenge and resist Chinese rule throughout the duration of its tenure. 
Much of what we get about this story comes to us directly from the Chinese, written approximately 300 years after the fact. The rest comes from stories and epic tales written by Vietnamese sources nearly 13 centuries later, wow. cementing them as folk heroes and freedom fighters and forever immortalizing them in legend and myth. So basically, this story was passed down by word of mouth. Dang. And as we're going to find out, they become this rallying cry for <laughs> people in the countryside yeah. that refuse to let them be forgotten. Hell yeah. I love that. Yeah. I just... It still floors me. I, it shouldn't. We're 19 episodes in, and it still drives me crazy when you talk about empires and kingdoms. And it's like, okay, yeah. I get that you're power hungry and want everything, but like, why do you have to change everything too? Like, you know, like. Well, there is a reason oh for it. We God. are going to get into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. The, the like, reason is power and money. Yeah. It's There's like, of course, people are going to be pissed and rise up because it's like, yeah. it's one thing to take over their lands, it's another thing to be like, be us. And they're like, no, fuck that, you. And that's exactly what happened. Cool. Yep. <laughs> now, the very origins of the Trung sisters are shrouded in mythology as they claim descendant from a line of kings that were descendants of Lok Long Quan, the Lord Dragon, who was said to have come from the sea. Oh God, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool I want to be descended from a dragon. Same. <laughs> Add that to the list. <laughs> the Lord Dragon was known as the protector of the ancient Vietnamese, and he allegedly came upon the land to chase away evil spirits and teach the natives how to cultivate their land and grow rice. You're going to hear cats in the background, oh. and I'm not stopping. Yeah. Just, you're going to have to deal welcome with Welcome to my house. <laughs> It's just little cat bodies throwing themselves everywhere. <laughs> Once the Lord Dragon came and basically chased the evil spirits away and um, taught the people as he wanted to, mm -hmm. he returns back to the sea. That is really cool. But when the people from northern China invaded their neighbors in the south, it was said the people along the Red River Plains called upon the Lord Dragon once more to return and protect them. When he comes back, he absconds with the northern king's wife and marries her himself. According to the legend, they go on to have 100 children. This is the dragon and the, the wife? Yes. Okay. The dragon. <laughs> the dragon and the wife. <laughs> Sounds not like a, weird at all. a book title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write it. <laughs> Over time, the Lord Dragon grows homesick for the sea and asks for a divorce. The two end up splitting their children in half. Well, like, um, not literally. The horde of children, not the actual children. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't cut them in half. I'm like, oh my God, this got really dark really quickly. <laughs> 50 go with the Lord Dragon and 50 stay with his... I'm really wife. glad you knew I was going to react like that. <laughs> I wrote it in parentheses, like not literally. Not really. <laughs> I love how I'm like, babe, if you want to go back to the water, you go back to the water. I'll stay on land. Yeah. This is perfect. Yeah, like, that's exactly right. the way it We seems. don't even need a divorce. <laughs> you can see other dragons. I can see other humans. <laughs> works out for everybody. It works out We're great. Very open-minded. Yeah. <laughs> Now, those that stayed with the Lord Dragon return to the seashore with him, and their descendants become the Hung Kings. Those that stayed with his wife retreated to the mountains and became the Highlanders. In time, the two groups will eventually be absorbed back into one another, but it's from this epic mythology that the Trung sisters were allegedly descended from. Fun fact, it's through their mother that they claim descendant from the Hung Kings. Oh. That's the interesting thing we're going to learn about this story. 
The mother's ancestry is more important in ancient Vietnam because they had a matriarchy in place yes. rather than a patriarchy. Yes. <laughs> is this the is this the Dragon King right here? Yes. I'm looking at a picture. We will post it on well, Facebook. So the thing about ancient Vietnam, if you look up any of their art, you will see a lot of basically like water dragons. Yeah. And it stems from this. So cool. I just I'm so obsessed with mythology. Like that story yeah. makes me so that happy. That story. I I fell in love with it right away. I was just like, hell yeah. Every everyone claims descendant from yeah. some mythological being and I think this is one of the coolest yeah. ones. I'm pretty sure I'm descendant from Pukas, but whatever. <laughs> now there are a couple of important differences between China and this region of ancient Vietnam that we need to keep in mind for this story. The Han Dynasty ends up conquering the Lac people around the first century BCE. They are known at this point in history as the Dongsun culture, a.k.a. the East Mountain culture. In the beginning, the Han Dynasty largely leaves the Lok people to their own devices and allows the local feudal lords to govern their people with little intervention. Literally, if you stop there, it would have been fine. Continue. It is only after international trade starts to boom in the first century CE oh. that they start to look more closely at the Red River Delta area. The Han Dynasty has held dominion over this part of Vietnam for nearly 150 years by the time we get to the Trung Sisters. I love the way you say that. Held dominion. I mean, that's what it was. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just so epic. <laughs> I mean, you can basically think of the Han Dynasty being to the east what the Roman Empire Roman was, Empire was yeah. to the west. Yeah. Yeah. It's just toys flying around. What's wrong? <laughs> now, the Zhao Chi province is basically what the province is known as at this point, aka the Red River Delta province, was a huge cosmopolitan area on the Asian continent. Its proximity to the Red River Plains meant it was the shortest route between southern China and the Maritime Silk Road that served as a connection between Asia, India, the Arabian Peninsula, and into Europe and northern Africa. In short, the Jiaoqi province is incredibly valuable, in addition to its proximity to the Silk Road, it contains several natural resources, including copper, silver, gold, jade, and iron. Do you remember those pearls that Cleopatra so greatly valued? You bet your ass I do. They come from this area. Oh, cool. So do you know what the Silk Road is? I remember hearing about it in school. Don't ask me details. I know it exists. <laughs> so the Silk Road was basically the road. trading. Route. Yes. Yeah. That was used in the ancient and early modern world um, to trade between yeah. all the way from Asia to the Roman Empire. Isn't that where the Vikings started? Ivar wasn't he on the Silk Road? So the Silk Road, I if you look, there's different versions. So oh. the Maritime Silk Road oh. is what the Jiaoqi province. Me. I did not learn that in school. <laughs> I learned there's only one. <laughs> there's multiple. Maritime cool. means water. Awesome. So the ships <laughs> would use. Gotcha, gotcha. That road. Okay. And that's where the Jiao Chi. How did ships get through here? The that's the Red northern Sea. Northern tip of. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so That's so tiny, though. So, if, be, if, I mean, it's not actually tiny. It's probably it's, huge. It's, but... You're looking at a tiny picture on a phone. <laughs> so, it would basically nope. ships go. Ships go through this itty bitty. <laughs> it's not itty bitty. It's bigger. That's what she said. <laughs> but, yeah. So, basically, you would get your pearls here they would go up the red sea and at the top of the red sea is egypt and cleopatra yes. would get her pearls and we're where are we we're in we're right over further all the way to the right oh i see okay right in here gotcha gotcha oh yeah there it is 
Now, this is essentially why the Han Dynasty becomes so invested in assimilating the Jiaoqi province. Because they want everything. They want the money. The monies. <laughs> And where they once allowed the local feudal lords to govern their own lands, the Hans decide to install Chinese government officials into the area and slowly begin to take over everything. That's a bad idea because if you let them have like some semblance of autonomy for so long and then you're like, just kidding, yeah. these assholes are going to come in and take Why over. Why would that be a problem? It just feels like a thing <laughs> that's not okay. It's going to so get we... some pushback. We have another major difference that contributes to this between no. China and the Lak people. Okay. So the Lak people recognized the inheritance rights of both men and women. Oh, there it is. China, on the other hand, was deeply patriarchal and only recognized the inheritance rights of male heirs. Ooh, 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 so you can't just expect to marry a Lak woman and take her lands. Yeah, she's like, fight me for it. You have to physically <laughs> take it from her. Yeah, she's like, come at me. <laughs> Now, women enjoyed a unique amount of autonomy in the Lok society. When the Lok people rose up against their Chinese overlords, it was often women that led the revolt. Oh, yes. The names of the generals and soldiers that were recorded during these rebellions were often women as well. This is the tradition that the Trung sisters were born into. And shrines dedicated to those, re to those revolts celebrate women specifically. And curiously enough... Trung Trak's husband's name is never recorded on these shrines after the rebellion. Yes. Now, the Lok people also viewed marriage differently than the Confucian-based Han society. In China, marriage was monogamous and produced very structured units, kind of similar to the nuclear units we have here in the United States. Okay. The quote-unquote norm. Yeah, sure. Whatever that means. The Lok society had a more laxed view of marriage and unions. People came together and left as they pleased. Oh. In the spring, they would have festivals where young men and women were able to mingle and cavort with one another freely. And if a dalliance happened to end in pregnancy, then the man could go to the woman and marry her. But if the woman did not get pregnant, she was free to mingle with someone new during the next round of spring festivities. That's like old school, like, Beltane stuff. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> And then there's another fun tradition, and this is like my favorite one. So if a man and a woman fell in love, the woman's family would arrange for the boy to steal the girl away. There was no wedding. Eventually, the boy would be accepted into the girl's family as the son-in-law. He would also be expected to earn her services rendered by her family. This meant helping her father tend to his fields, chop wood, etc. Yes. So this is the complete role reversal from what most of us are used to in, in Western history, where the young girls would be married off and essentially shipped off to live with their husband and his family. That's pretty awesome. It's completely I like it. reversed. Yep. I love it. <laughs> the end result was something unique to this time period. You sometimes got marriages born of love rather than for the sake of political alliance. The practice of political unions was rarer in luck society due to their more matriarchal nature, and children often took their mother's last names rather than their father's. Oh. This would end up being an issue because the lack of domestic structure in the Lok people made it difficult for the Hans to collect tax revenue. Oh, God, God forbid. <laughs> it's hard to collect taxes on undefined family units. The Han dynasty sought to change that and so began to force their patriarchal structure of marriage on the Lok people for the sake of taxes. As Chinese concepts of marriage spread into the Jiaoqi region, Support for the traditional lack lords gradually diminished over time. And so we finally get to the Trung sisters. I just, yeah. It just makes me so mad. It's like you literally want more money, so you're going to go in and 
fuck everything up. Yeah. Like literally just because you're That's a greedy motherfucker. What and imperialism is. I know. It's and it's literally still what the United mad. States does. I know. <laughs> Nothing has it changed. It still riles me up now. In thousands of years. Uh, at least well, I was going to say at least we're better about hiding it, but we're not. We don't hide it. No, we don't. People are just ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> now, who were the Trung sisters? The Trung sisters were Trung Track and Trung Ni two women that would go on to organize the first rebellion against Chinese occupation in the early first century. We do not have an exact date for when the Trung sisters were born, but historians generally place it sometime around the year 15 CE. Damn. Remember what year that was? Mm, bet you're about to tell me. You're reminding me. It was the year Agrippina was born. Oh, hell yeah. I remember <laughs> that year. It was the year Agrippina was born. <laughs> no. So you said, before we move on, and I don't know if you know this, but you, you, you're saying Trung track and Trung... Me. Thank you. Um, Trung is their last name or Trung? So again, um, <laughs> remember with like, just like the Japanese, the family name is in front. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So that's family what I thought. name and then name, 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 name. <laughs> so of the two sisters, Trung Track. So Track yeah. was the oldest sister of the two. Okay. Both women were the daughters of the Lack Lord in the Malin district. They were essentially born into a noble family, and we can probably assume that the two sisters received some kind of formal education. And that education would have included martial arts training. They were also set to inherit their father's lands and titles. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, because you said it was very matriarchal. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so this was basically a legacy of the matrilineal laws that had existed in this region of Vietnam, where the ancestral lands of a family passed down through the women rather than the men. At this point in time, Zhao Qi is a commandery of the Han Dynasty. So you can think of a commandery being similar to the provinces controlled by Rome. Okay. These regions are outside of China, but subordinate to China. Okay. Trouble begins when a man by the name of Su Ting... You literally... That's like every story ever. Trouble begins when a man... Dot. dot <laughs> I could just stop dot. it right there. <laughs> Fill in the blanks. So a man by the name of Su Ting is assigned as the new prefect or governor of the Zhao Qi region. In addition to being generally bad at his job, <laughs> the sources remember Su Ting for being a particularly greedy and cruel human being. Great. He was just not a good dude to be around, and I like to picture him with especially long mustachios that he likes to twirl villainously yes. in his hand. I totally had that in my head, too. Yes. Like the, the, the general villain. <laughs> He was apparently reviled by his own people as well because General Ma Yuan, um, he's the Chinese general we're going to yeah. talk about in a bit that fights the Trung sisters. He famously said of Su Ting that he opens wide his eyes when he sees money, but lowers his eyes when facing the enemy. Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> so he doesn't like him? He does not like yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? Because that statement, I mean... <laughs> So tensions have been escalating in Zhao Qi for some time before Su Ting is even assigned to this province, with commoners and Chinese police clashing pretty frequently over the increasing taxes. Su Ting did little to defuse the situation and instead exasperated it by demanding more money. Yeah, of course he didn't do anything to solve it. He's like, yes, more money? Great! <laughs> and the whole time he is demanding more taxes from the locals, he is hiding away and avoiding confrontation from those same people. Great. So he's greedy and he's a coward. Yes. Yeah. Completely. Awesome. A greedy coward. Yeah, yeah. 
In addition to levying heavy taxes against the people, Su Ting also confiscates Trungtrak's lands. Enter Trungtrak's husband, Tisak. He had been the son of a very powerful lock lord neighbor, um, so it's been suggested that their marriage was political. Okay. But it turns out that Tisak was a bit of a troublemaker for Su Ting, precisely because he would not keep his mouth shut. This would have likely meant that T. Sack was not content to be outrageously subjugated and watch his people be bled dry with taxes or, you know, so, have his wife's land taken yeah, from her. Yeah, so it's 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 kind of like uh, Richard Bork in Granny Whale. So Richard Bork was like the oh, main yeah. quote unquote troublemaker. Yeah. And then she's over here like, why am I getting like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Um, the sources like to suggest that Trungtrak was there egging him on the whole time, though. Yeah, I love it. She's like, yeah, baby, go get him. Get him. <laughs> now, the big trouble happens when Su Ting learns that a coalition of lack lords is building and plotting to overthrow the Chinese, led by T. Sack. Why would they do that, Rachel? And then Why? he has him killed. Oh, <laughs> no. So according to the legend, T. Sack was beheaded without a trial. And this pissed off Trungtrak. Everyone? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yes. So, you can't just do that. No, I mean, it's not recommended. God. <laughs> so when word reached Trungtrak, she was apparently enraged. And yeah. the rest of the people in Jiaoqi province exploded into outrage and anger. And so the revolt was born. Yes. I mean, shit, that sucks, but yes. <laughs> There are a couple of different stories related to what drew Trungtrak into the fight. Some suggest revenge was the primary motivation that led her to seek out her sister and request that Trungni pledge to help her overthrow the people that had murdered her husband. It was only later that their battle cry resonated with the rest of the Jiaoqi countryside and birthed the rebellion. Another story paints a more dramatic picture. As a recently widowed woman, it was Trungtrak's duty to observe a mourning period for her husband but she quickly found herself in a bit of an awkward situation. Oh, no. The people who had started the revolt were calling on Trungtrak to lead it. I know, Finn. Finn is incensed. <laughs> He's calling on her, too. Yeah, yeah. She was literally in the middle of funeral preparations when her family informed her that the people were asking her to lead. Oh, damn. We're told She's like, um, <laughs> can I bury him first? Or like, is that not Okay. <laughs> We're told that Trung Trak took the responsibility of honoring her grief for her dead husband just as seriously as she did the call for her to lead the rebellion. On the one hand, public observances of mourning were deeply entrenched in, a in ancient Vietnamese society. Failure to grieve properly would have come across as lacking in compassion. Basically, a failure to show emotion in her society was considered the greater offense. That's kind of awful because some people don't grieve that way. Well, that's your trauma speaking yes. because you were taught you couldn't grieve openly. That's but if you're in a society that welcomes it and is like, hey, this is a natural yeah. part of life. Yeah. And you have to also think like when Caligula died, Agrippina and her sisters also publicly grieved. That's it, was, true. it was part of the culture. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Therapy treehouse for you. Therapy treehouse is strong <laughs> with this episode. <laughs> Now, on the other hand, the Jiaoqi province had been under the heel of Chinese oppression for over 150 years. Never before had such an opportunity come along to mobilize the anger and outrage of the Lak people into something that could actually challenge the Han Dynasty. 
Jungtrak felt a great sense of honor and duty to answer the call and lead the rebellion, and she knew that if she didn't act quick, it would move on without her. In the end, Trungtrak ends up calling all the local lords to her home where she listens to them speak and then airs her own concerns. Afterwards, she'll consult with her sister, Trungni, on how she should proceed, and in the end, the two decide they will support the rebellion. After officially joining the revolt, Trungni organizes a series of coordinated attacks against the local Chinese-run police stations, government offices, and military barracks. Yes. (laughs) As they begin to take over these buildings and drive the Chinese out, more and more people flock to Trung Trak's cause and join her army. So is it essentially Trung Trak is like the the figurehead and Trung Ni is almost the general? Kind of. Okay. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. The whole time this is happening, Su Ting remains completely oblivious. That sounds right, actually. (laughs) No, he's got his head in the sand, remember? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no money involved. He doesn't care. He's described as kind of just standing around and twiddling his thumbs, wondering why Chinese citizens and military are fleeing the area. What's going on, guys? (laughs) It is only after he is informed that several Chinese settlements were overrun by Trung Trak's forces that he finally took action. And by action, I mean that he basically instructed his men to pack all of their things (laughs) And then they fled north to the northern border with their tails between their legs. I was going to say, did his men, were, were his men like, boss, should we tuck our tails now or like later? <laughs> now. Now's a now, good time. Now's a great time. Tuck your tails. Tuck your tails. <laughs> so for the first time in 150 years, the Jiaochi region is free of Chinese occupation. Woo! It was an unprecedented victory won by an army that largely consisted of peasants and volunteers. Most of the volunteers had no formal military training either, so to say that none of them expected to actually win would be an understatement. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're fighting for your home and your people versus fighting for a land you don't actually give a shit about, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's also a difference between government officials and then a military, military presence, yeah. which yeah, there's a huge difference. Is going to enter the picture very soon. Oh no! <laughs> Damn it! Now, it's at this point that Trun Track essentially names herself as queen and quickly establishes a royal court in her hometown of Meilin. Bet your ass she does. She's like, all right, this happened. Now I'm in charge for real. <laughs> By the time all of the Chinese are pushed out, her army has taken over 65 strongholds that stretch from what is now modern-day central Vietnam all the way up into the northern province of Hepu, which is basically modern-day southern China. Damn. Yeah, very, very southern in China. Every stronghold at this point also recognizes her as queen and her sister, Trung Ni, is named as her deputy queen. Ooh, I like that deputy queen. Yeah. So I'm queen and you're deputy queen. Oh, it would be the other way around. Excuse me. You would be the general. (laughs) That's true. That would be organizing everything and I would be keeping everything in line. (laughs) You can be my co-queen, that's fine. We just have different responsibilities. I like how we're both like, I'm the main queen. Obviously, it's me. (laughs) Now, although Trax's reign will end up being short, she's remembered by her people for being a benevolent ruler. Sources noted that Trax greatly reduced the taxes her people had been paying to the Chinese, and some even suggest that she eliminated taxes altogether. Well, yeah, because that's the main thing that, well, obviously, besides the death of her husband. (laughs) Yes. The main thing that incensed them in the first place. She's like... Trung Trak then makes the following pledge to the people that had gathered around her. First, I pledge to revenge our nation. Secondly, I pledge to restore the dynasty of the Hung Kings. 
Thirdly, lest my husband keep his grudge. And fourth, I pledge to finish the job I am out to do. Yes. Explain that third line. I I think uh, it's more like, let my husband keep his grudge. Like, my husband is... My husband was dishonored the way he was murdered. Mm-hmm. Let him hold his grudge and oh, okay. So he's, from, I don't know. He's going to hold the grudge and she's just going to rule. She's not going to go any further, maybe? I don't fully understand the line. Oh, okay. I'm just kind of interpreting it as my husband was wronged. Mm-hmm. And should his spirit be unrestful, let him haunt the shit out of you. I Hell yeah. I love it. <laughs> We're doing this in honor of his memory. Yeah. Now, hearing of the army's success, several more lords from the area flocked to the Trung sisters' army. Everyone is elated and overjoyed by the fact that they had pushed the Chinese out of their country. But in time, they know that their victory is not something they can sleep on. None of these people are stupid, and no one is more surprised by their victory than the rebel forces themselves. (laughs) And although the sources all mention the rebels attributed their victory to courage and the desire for freedom against their oppressors, they know that the Chinese will be back. The Han dynasty is vast, and their army is well-disciplined. The people they managed to push out had likely grown lethargic and lazy, and just because they were gone, it did not mean that they would not come back. Trungtrak's army may have been brave and courageous, but they did not have any seasoned generals among them. None of them had ever truly fought in a war. And so, in time, the fear of retribution constantly hung over everyone's head because they knew it was only a matter of time before the Han Dynasty decided to retaliate in earnest. Finan's giving his warning. Yeah, but it's like, they're coming! They're coming! <laughs> so basically it's like when if you win like a small skirmish with yes. the Roman yeah. legion that is over That's you, led by Mark Antony. It's fucking Mark Antony, who's useless. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you're like, yay, we won, but fuck, we won! <laughs> like, we won, and now shit, they're going to bring more of their forces <laughs> in earnest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Something along <laughs> those lines. Another thing I do want to note is there are conflicting reports as to whether Trungtrak's husband was actually alive this whole time. What? So the Chinese sources suggest that he was present during the rebellion and simply took a backseat to Trungtrak's leadership. I'm sure they were just like, yeah, he was present. We're not going to admit we were just got our asses yes. handed to us by a woman. <laughs> yeah, because knowing how deeply misogynistic the Hans were, yeah. it's entirely possible that they simply couldn't fathom the idea of a no. woman getting all of this support completely on her oh, own. Yeah. Yeah. It's no way. It is only in the Chinese sources that he is mentioned as being alive. Because they're like, mm, our egos are really bruised. Like we have to talk about it, but we don't <laughs> have to talk about it guys. Another interesting note during the rebellion, there was said to be over 60 leaders trained under Trung Trak's army during this rebellion. And most of them were women. Yes. And even the Trung sister's mother was said to have taken arms and followed the sisters into battle and named as one of their generals. The 13th century Vietnamese historian Le Van Hu had the following to say about the Trung sisters. Trung Trak and Trung Ni were women. They gave one shout in all the prefectures of Kurochan, Nat Nam, and Ho Pu, along with 65 strongholds beyond the passes, responded to them and establishing the nation they proclaimed themselves queens as easily as turning their hands, which shows that our land of Viet was able to establish royal tradition. What a pity that, for a thousand years after this, the men of our land bowed their heads, folded their arms, and served the northerners. 
How shameful this is in comparison with the two Trung sisters who were women. Ah, it is enough to make one want to die. Wow, that's aggressive. <laughs> I can't fully tell if he's like, it feels like an underhanded compliment of like, wow, they were amazing, but like, they were still women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure Like, our men were yeah. so pathetic that they just bowed to the Chinese yeah. over their words. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good lord. Now, it turns out that Trung Trak and Trung Ni and the rest of their army were right to assume that they were not done with the Chinese. After holding the Han Dynasty at bay for about a year, the Chinese decided to call in the big guns. Oh, no. Enter renowned Chinese general Ma Yuan. Hmm. Now, Ma Yuan was, by this point, an already well-established general for the Eastern Han Dynasty, and he had already garnered a reputation for stamping out rebellions and restoring order within the empire. And so, in time, he was dispatched to the southern commanderies of the Han Empire in Jiaoqi and Kurochan to put down the revolt and deal with those pesky Trung sisters. We're told he did not take this task lightly just because they were two women either. Together, the Trung sisters had managed to keep the Han dynasty at bay. This was no small or easy task, so he apparently took care with his preparations to re-enter their territory. I mean, that kind of makes me like him for like five seconds. I don't hate him. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, he has respect for them. He's like, okay, these women did this. I don't know that he has respect for them, but he understands that they've done something that nobody else has ever been able well, yeah, to do. Like, not respect, but like that that general, like, you are my enemy, but I'm also gonna, like, give you, like, a weird quick head nod. Good job. <laughs> like... <laughs> Ma Yuan ends up bringing with him 8,000 troops and 12,000 militiamen to the port of Hopu, again, southern China, mm-hmm. only to realize that they do not have enough ships to carry all of the men south. <laughs> They're like, hey, some of you are going to have to swim. (laughs) So basically what he does is he sends the ships along with their supplies, and then they kind of follow on foot Mm, um, along the coastline. Now, this sojourn proved to be an arduous year-and-a-half-long trek south through the Locklands. Well, yeah, because, like, the ships are traveling, and the army has to go on foot, which is going to be smaller. Well, that's just kind of a... Which is going to take longer. Yeah, Yeah. but that's... Then your men are going to be pissed off, tired... Mm-hmm. and there's more <laughs> oh no so the troops end up settling down along the eastern coastline and surveyed the area to find a secure area to camp down that was protected by natural barriers before launching their attack ma Yuan's forces will end up settling around Longbok lake in large part because the lake was accessible to their supply ships on the coast via the cow river and the surrounding hills provided them with a natural barrier against attacks from the locals now, the whole time Ma Yuan's troops are bunkered down, everything is miserable. The Red River Delta area is incredibly hot and humid with consistent rainfall, which the Chinese troops were not used to up in the north. And they were soon dealing with pestilence and disease. Ooh, I can understand being miserable in humidity because it's barely humid here and I'm like, stop. Yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> Ma Yuan ends up writing the following in his accounts of the rebellion. When I was between Longbok and Taivu and the rebels were not yet subdued, rain fell, vapors rose, there were pestilential emanations, and the heat was unbearable. I even saw a sparrow hawk fall into the water and drown. Wow, my God. (laughs) You see that and you're just like, turn around, turn it around. (laughs) We're not doing this. (laughs) Yeah, not a great time. Oh, no. (laughs) 
Approximately two years had gone by by the time Ma Yuan's forces had settled near Long Bok Lake. Did you say two years? Yeah, I would say two years since the Chinese were pushed out. Oh, I thought you said two years of them marching. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. my God, who is still with that army? <laughs> I don't think I specified. I left so years thank ago. you for asking for clarification. You're welcome, because I was like, wait a minute. I mean, that's still, a long time. It still took them 100, or 100 years. 100 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> a year and a half to They're march. immortal. <laughs> they are the immortal army. <laughs> so for the Lak people, this had been two years of freedom from Chinese oppression. With the exception of the occasional skirmish here and there, the two have yet to fight in earnest. By the time the rebel forces discover this huge Chinese army on their doorstep, they appear to be completely surprised and bewildered in the texts. Yeah, they apparently didn't no- notice this army marching down the coast. You missed that whole army? <laughs> like They're staring down something completely different from the small occupational forces they dealt with previously. Yeah. This is a very well-oiled and coordinated military machine, and the numbers are astronomical and unlike anything the Locke people have ever seen before. They know they will not be dealing with the ineptitude of a politician like Su Ting. Ma Yuan is not a man that will be easily run out of their country. He's a seasoned general commanding thousands of very well-trained and disciplined soldiers. Facing them on Trung Trak's side are a collection of commoners and farmers and a few aristocrats that have come together to resist an empire. They are vastly outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. I'm sorry, I had to get a Hamilton reference in there. I had to. (laughs) I saw the smile and I was like, oh, it's coming. (laughs) And then you had the Lack Lords themselves. They were basically a collection of warriors that had varying degrees of training and discipline. But at the heart of it all was the fact that they also had a varying degree of competing personal interests. Something to keep in mind, the idea of a Vietnamese nation does not exist at this point. It's been over 150 years since this area has been free of Chinese dominion. They might have a unifying sense of culture, but there is no unifying sense of a nation. Some of the Lack Lords had worked well with the Chinese prefix in the past. So chief among some of their concerns was what would happen to their political power should the Trung sisters lose? And also, what was in it for them should they actually, by some miracle, win? Um, getting away from oppression, but that's fine. <laughs> let's, let's make it weird. I mean, when you're, when you're one of the top dogs. Yeah, when you don't feel the oppression as, as strongly yes. as the other people in your region. Yes. I get it. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the issue she was dealing with. Yeah. So the biggest issue that Troon Track ran into was that her army was not very disciplined. No matter how hard she tried to convince the Lock Lords of the benefits of pushing the Chinese out, she could not muster the support of all of them, and so army morale ebbed and flowed with the tide of the war. When Troon Track was victorious in previous battles, it was easy to jump on the bandwagon of victory and offer support. The moment the rebel army saw the vast Chinese army, they started to panic in the face of what seemed to be a futile effort. And there were the typical misogynistic fears floating about as well. How could a woman possibly stand up to such a ferocious and well-disciplined army? And How so, could a woman stand up to that and not you, you Mr. Big Man over here? Like, oh, they don't think about themselves. There's no personal accountability here. <laughs> so basically, Trung Track is forced to commit her forces to battle early. Um, because otherwise she runs the risk of everyone defecting. Leaving. Yeah. Yes. She's like, I have to act now or I'm going to lose everybody. Yeah. Like 
they can't have their eyes on the mass army in front of them yes. for too long because everyone <laughs> will, will start peeing their britches and yeah <laughs> when the battle does officially take place it is completely and utterly devastating for the rebel forces the sources report the battle waged on for several days with the ringing of metal and screaming providing the orchestral backdrop when all was said and done, the carnage was brutal. Body parts were said to be strewn about the battlefield. The stories even mention vultures circling the carnage from day to night for added dramatic effect. I mean, that sounds right, though. Yeah. Vultures are pretty, pretty uh, in tune to death. Yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, something for me to eat. Thousands from the rebel army had been beheaded right on the battlefield. Oh, no. More than that had surrendered to the Chinese army. It suggested as many as 10,000 just surrendered because they didn't want to be. Whoa. Well, it was either surrender or have your head cut off. I mean, yeah, but whoa. <laughs> Trung Trak and her remaining forces fled to Meilin with General Ma Yuan in hot pursuit. So my main source for this episode um, is called the Trung Sisters revisited it's a book and one of the authors is nia m vo she paints a very vivid and bleak picture of the events that followed the battle of Longbok. soldiers that had escaped capture or execution were scattered to the winds and their wives were said to have wandered the countryside mourning them and looking for their missing husbands oh wow the that's like a lady in white kind of a yes thing. but it's it's all of the women that's creepy that yeah. paints a really <laughs> kind of scary picture she she i i really liked her writing yeah so i i tried to find a vietnamese source for this story um and she she's a really good writer she like painted a very like just invoking feel the grief like in the pit of my stomach yeah the Trung sisters themselves were described as being completely stunned and deflated rendered almost catatonic and wandering around their ancestral home aimlessly in addition to losing the battle and thousands of lives in the army, the Trung sisters knew they had likely lost all their lands, titles, and belongings. And they knew it wouldn't be long before General Ma Yuan came calling for them. Yeah. By this point, it was devastatingly clear that the rebellion was over. It didn't matter how much heart, courage, and defiance existed within them. Freedom would not be coming anytime soon. The machine of the Han Dynasty's army was too disciplined and formidable. Now, the timeline of events gets a little shifty from this point. We are not entirely sure how long it took Ma Yuan's forces to reach the sisters. Some have suggested that it goes on for another two to three years before he finally catches up with them. Oh, wow. It could have been sooner. Again, yeah. we don't have any writing from the actual the concrete. Yeah. yeah. When he does arrive and catch up with them there are different versions of the story involving the deaths of the Trung sisters oh god damn it spoiler alert <laughs> sorry <sighs> so the chinese no, sources... Rachel, the story's over you've ended it <laughs> no because like it's, it's very much like joan of arc as you're gonna oh, find out okay they die but they don't whoa <laughs> okay um yeah, yeah you're gonna you're gonna yeah okay oh, anyway <laughs> So the Chinese sources that tell of these events suggest the Trung sisters were captured eventually and beheaded for their insolence. Afterwards, their heads were sent to the emperor at Yolang to provide proof that the troublesome sisters were finally dead. He's never seen them. You could send two random fucking heads. <laughs> he could have. Who knows? <laughs> Ma Yuan eventually became known as the general who calms the waves. Whoa, um, that's a cool title. 
So yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure if he was known as the general who calms the waves before the Trunk Sisters oh, or okay. after. But or if the Trunk Sisters like gave him that name. Not I, gave him, but like I like to think because they were descended from water dragon lords. Oh hell yes, I like it. That's how he got the name. So that's what I'm going with. I like it. I, <laughs> I agree with that in full force. <laughs> I concur, as it were. The Vietnamese version of their deaths is more simple and noble. Understanding the rebellion was over and not wanting to submit to the fate that awaited them should they be captured alive. Probably a beheading. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with probably. They both rode their horses off a cliff and drowned in the river. What the fuck? The horses didn't do shit. Why don't you just run off the I goddamn knew, cliff? I knew you were gonna mention oh! the horses. <laughs> I knew it. Horses didn't do shit. You didn't lead a rebellion. You did. Don't involve them. <laughs> A couple of Sorry. other stories also suggest that they continued fighting in various skirmishes with Ma Yuan's forces until he finally caught up with them and killed them in battle. So it's kind of another choose-your-own version yeah, of the story. Yeah. Following the deaths of the Trung sisters, the resistance would continue for a couple more years before General Ma Yuan finally put it down. In the end, it suggested that as many as 5,000 members of the rebel army, consisting of both black wards and commoners, were hunted down and beheaded. Ugh. Only the soldiers that had surrendered at the Battle of Long Bok were allowed to live. General Ma Yuan would go on to implement a new Chinese Han administration in the land, supplanting lack lords and farmers with Chinese soldiers. They were installed on farms and land to effectively usurp control over the land from the Lok people. The end result was that the Dongsan kingdom was completely wiped out and the lack lord's title was never heard from again. Shit. General Ma Yuan also goes on to confiscate all the bronze drums in the area that had served as symbols of ancient Viet leadership and were often used to call to arms by the local lords of the area. He's literally like, fuck these drums. The bronze oh. drums would later be melted down to oh create God. a huge bronze horse that was then presented to the emperor in China. Ugh. Pause dance. You thought you liked him. <laughs> I liked him for a second. Now, much as Joan of Arc gained notoriety following her fight against the English and subsequent martyrdom, so too did the Trung sisters gain more notoriety following their deaths. The rebellion had lasted only two and a half years, but it was the first time any subjugated kingdom or region had managed to withstand the might of the Han dynasty for a prolonged period of time. Their legacy would go on to be a source of inspiration for the Vietnamese people to fight against tyranny for the next 2,000 years. Not long after the Trung sisters died, shrines dedicated to their memory started popping up all over the Jiaochi province. Nia M. Vo wrote that a new sense of resistance seemed to be written into the genetic code of the people who came from this region. This girl is a great writer. <laughs> yeah, she's she's really good. I think I want to read this book just to hear her writing. <laughs> you should. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. Okay. It's pretty It's pretty short. So, yeah. The Jiaochi people would remain under the heel of China for the next nine centuries, but the desire to resist and fight would never be fully stamped out. She also goes on to suggest that had the location of Meilin been just a couple hundred miles south, the rebellion might not have succeeded as it is unlikely China would have been able to sustain a long, drawn-out war so far to the south. Hmm. The memory of the Trung sisters would persist for the next 900 years until the people of the Jiaochi region finally reclaimed their freedom from China in 939 CE. Sources have suggested that it was the memory of the Trung sisters' courage in the face of insurmountable odds 
that helped the Jiaoqi people retain their identity independent of attempts made by China to assimilate their people and culture. That makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's for this reason that the Trung sisters are known as the mothers of Vietnam. And in the centuries that followed, their names inspired people to stand up and fight when they felt strong enough to do so, as well as lay down their weapons and retreat when they knew the battle was lost. The key to the resistance was that they never gave up the idea that they would one day win their freedom from China. Further evidence of the resistance they inspired was the fact that unsanctioned ceremonies dedicated to the sisters persisted in the centuries that followed. The commoners refused to let their memories be forgotten. Um, so basically, a new cult for the Trung sisters pops up in the countryside. That's amazing. And it wouldn't be until the 13th century that government officials would officially recognize them as heroes. Oh, yeah. I see you sent me pictures of statues of them. Oh, I'm going to get to that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Continue. <laughs> so I got a couple of fun legends that are associated with the Trunk Sisters. All right. As you see in one of the pictures. Oh, God. I just got rid of it. <laughs> in several retellings of this story, we hear that the Trunk Sisters often rode into battle on the backs of elephants. Oh, my God. Yes. I love this picture so much. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you look up um, artwork and painting about the Trunk Sisters, there's a whole bunch of them on elephants. This it's is really, really cool. cool. We also know that several women held high positions of leadership within the army, but Trung Track apparently had her own bodyguard that consisted entirely of female warriors, and even her mother was said to be one of the bodyguards. Cool. So she basically had a queen's guard. I like it. One of these female leaders was said to be Fung Ti Chin, who had allegedly been pregnant and given birth to a child in the middle of the battlefield. Stop it. According to the legend, she hoisted the newborn infant onto her back and carved her way through several enemy soldiers with a sword in order to escape. Oh, just like my Grace O'Malley, God, I love like it. they would have been in the same company. That's amazing. <laughs> They're like, "Oh yeah, you too." Yeah, me. God, you don't even want to get me started because seriously, <laughs> they like sit sit across from one another, like having a beer, and they're like, "Oh, you gave birth in battle too." Like, tell me what happened. <laughs> Another legend emerged during the 12th century drought that devastated the region. King Lai On Tong went to one of their temples and asked the Buddhist monks there to pray for rain. When rain finally started to fall, the king dreamed of two pretty-faced ladies wearing red crowns and sashes astride iron horses passing by with the rain. They claimed to be the Trung sisters, and they said they brought rain with them from the heavens. He henceforth referred to the Trung sisters as the Rain Maidens and ordered Ooh. a temple be built for them right there in his citadel. Oh my god, someone <laughs> make us some kind of Rain Maidens or something. <laughs> Jesus, that's so cool! <laughs> Today, the most prominent temple dedicated to the Trung sisters is the Hai Ba Trung Temple in Hanoi. The temple was built in the 10th century and opens only twice a year to reveal an effigy of the two sisters kneeling hand in hand with their free hands raised above their heads as if to encourage an onlooking crowd to action. On the fifth day of the second lunar month of the year, the statues are carried down the river where they are ceremoni ceremonially washed and then returned to the temple. And there's two images because... Um, after the fall of Saigon during the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. I think the statues might have been... I, I don't think they were destroyed, but they were, like, taken off their gotcha. pedestal. Okay. 
Yeah. I will say that it looks like one sister has her hand raised and the other one has her hand on the yeah. sword. So I want that to be, yeah. I want to think that's the, the true, true me. And then true that's true me. The one with her hand on the sword. Cause she's the general totally yeah. going to call that as real. <laughs> Just as church opinion of Joan of Arc ebbed and flowed through the centuries, depending on whatever prevailing beliefs were in style. So too has the opinion of the true sisters largely varied through the centuries. Oh. Following Chinese occupation and restructuring of the region, a more patriarchal mindset dug its way into the leadership that followed, and it would persist for the next thousand years. Damn it! In the medieval era, kings and emperors in the region would often get frustrated when the Trung sisters were mentioned as having resisted the Han dynasty, often saying something to the effect of, but where were the men? Clearly they must not have been around if all we have to speak of is two women. Yeah, because the men had their tails between their legs. <laughs> or they just wouldn't, weren't cutting it. <laughs> the irony was that the first two Vietnamese rebellions against China were both led by women. Oh, their egos are so <laughs> bruised. <laughs> a couple of hundred years later, after the Trung sisters, came a 19-year-old girl that history remembers as Lady True. She will go on to lead the local chieftains of the area in a rebellion against the Chinese Wu dynasty. And she would later be remembered as the Vietnamese Joan of Arc, even though she existed 1,000 years before Joan of Arc herself. So it may be... So they time tried... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it may be that Joan of Arc should actually be known as the French version of Lady True. True. Yeah. 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 Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Is she on our list? Yes. <laughs> I will leave you all with a poem that comes from the 15th century Hong Duke Anthology, which was a collection of Vietnamese poetry. It serves as a tribute to the Trung sisters and recalls the inherent feminism that goes hand in hand with the region's resistance against oppression. To slay the people's foe and wreak revenge, two sisters took up arms for their just cause. They climbed the throne, large bounties they bestowed. They donned their crowns, sweet blessings they conferred, while streams and hills endured, their shrine shall stand, a monument to peerless womanhood. Yes. And that... I got I got goosebumps. Mom. That is the Trung Sisters. Hell yes. They're amazing. I, I always love doing these stories because I'll read a little bit about them, and then I actually read about them, and it's yeah. always so much more. And yeah, so basically for the next 2,000 years, and, and Vietnam has been... was occupied by China, and then it was occupied by france and then yeah, poor we Vietnam invaded has just, has just been struggling yeah. <laughs> um but the true sisters were always their inspiration mm -hmm. for fighting off oppression i love it yeah that's amazing yep. yes and there we go that's there our story Woo! all right so my sources for this episode as i already mentioned the main book that i read was the true sisters revisited and this was by nia m Bo and nguyen Knock beak. I'm so sorry. I hope she I tried that guys. right. She tried really hard. <laughs> um, um, it's basically broken in two parts. It tells the story and then it's um, the Trung Sisters Revisited, um, which just gives you a little more detail. I like it. Okay. Um, I also used Wikipedia for a few things here Always. and there. And <laughs> Wikipedia then, is like the good starting point and then you branch out yes. and you go to their references yeah. and you branch out from there. I usually use Wikipedia like so when Ma Yuan came up in the story I was like okay I would like to know a little more yeah. about Ma Yuan. Yeah. So that sort of thing. I tried to do that with Donald of the Pipes didn't work. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> 
I also listened to two different podcast episodes because I was I was trying to get the pronunciations down. Yeah, that's why I listen to the podcast too. The unfortunate thing is the only sources I can find are it's it's English white people talking. Yeah. So I, I did my best. My main source was a Vietnamese source. Yeah. But the two um, podcasts I listened to were History Lessons for Misanthropes. Episode 17 is on the Trunk Sisters. And then the other one was Stuff You Missed in History class. They do an episode. Someone from Sprouts, I think, suggested that podcast to me. Yeah. I've been, I've listened to a couple episodes. You want to know what's really fun when I was doing the Grace O'Malley episode? I would type into YouTube, how do you pronounce this name? Yeah, no, I did that (laughs) with a lot of these names. And then I just sat there like, Trung. Yeah. Trung. Yeah, you're literally like learning a freaking new language. Yeah. When it got tricky because it was there were Vietnamese names and Chinese names. Yeah. So yeah, so the Xin Dynasty is actually spelled X I N. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. That, that I I remember studying the Han and the Xin Dynasty. Yeah. And all that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, these were my sources. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, um, I guess it's random question. Time. Random question time. All right, so our random question is going to be a fun one. And the orig- so the original question is, if someone was doing a spell to summon you, what three ingredients or objects would they need to summon you? But I've decided, in my infinite wisdom, that we are going to make this a two-part question. The first part is going to be what you think someone would need to summon me. Yes. And then I'm going to do... <laughs> not do you but i'm I mean, going to that's later you're going to be my subject <laughs> okay that's for later okay but yeah so what if someone was doing a spell to summon me cat what so, three ingredients or objects would they need so i would say to summon a cat like a kathleen like me hi <laughs> <a> cat lady <laughs> you would need a garland of sunflowers hell yeah a shot of jameson fuck yeah a full entire head of garlic <laughs> the entire thing. The entire thing. <laughs> Just all of it. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Rachel? That you love garlic. I fucking do. It's ridiculous. <laughs> she is not a vampire. No, I'm not. I, I enjoy garlic thoroughly. One whisker of a cat. <laughs> and probably like an old record player, but it has like I picture in this moment big bad wolf fuck yes i would follow that that into whatever that would be how you summon i love it i love that you did like actual like ingredients not like you need like i love that that makes me happy so i might just like no i'm not gonna redo mine no i want to hear yours too but we'll do that so (laughs) if i were to summon rachel or if someone was to summon rachel um they would need a video game controller okay Um, some part of a unicorn or cat dragon, or a rendition <laughs> of a unicorn or a cat dragon, or both. A deck of tarot cards. Ooh. Okay. A bunch of crystals. Okay. <laughs> and then I was gonna go with a cat, but I like the whisker of cats because I don't want a cat. The whisker of a cat. Yeah. And have I'll use one of Finn's whiskers. What cards do you know enough about tarot to like pick out specific cards for me? No. No. Okay. That's fine. So. When I was shopping for your birthday, I had an idea that kind of fell through, but they have tarot card necklaces, but I couldn't find any that were really worth yeah. the money, yeah. the way they looked. But I wanted to get you one with the moon. Oh, I do love the moon. Or the sun. So the moon typically means um, 
intuition but in the darkness and people can get lost in the moon card so you have to be careful so it's kind of like don't get lost in the moon in the moon yeah i will have to jingle a cat get lost at there. the end of it and come back. yeah <laughs> i would, come back. I would then, also do the empress yeah i identify with the empress and the high priestess yeah the high but priestess i, I the love the one. moon i love the chariot and i love the strength card remember you pulled it there was another one was i can't remember what it was but it was two hands like this and then like something in between and I just remember you telling me the story you were writing and like the symbolatry. Oh yeah. Hands. So I yes. wanted to buy you that just because. Oh, that but... would be beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But I might draw something. I don't know. <laughs> it's on the list with the cat dragon. I owe you. <laughs> but the fun thing is, as I said, you have to summon her on a full moon in the yes. dead of winter. Yes. With Henry Cavill doing the summoning in full Witcher gear whilst playing what? melancholy music. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. A lot of that lines up with what I wrote for myself. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. But let, let's hear what you wrote for yourself. For myself, I wrote you would need books, yeah. chats, journals for writing, and the way you would do it is you would have to summon me on a full moon in the fall with Jason Momoa doing the summoning in full lumberjack gear. Yes! <laughs> you, you got me right for the winter, and you're very much for the fall. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Mine's kind of a whole thing, what too. Kind of, what kind of music? I would be playing fucking in this moment music. Yeah, angry. you'd be playing, like, angry... Yeah. Um, heavy metal summon her bath music yeah so the you're gonna you you got like two things right on the nail yes so to summon a rachel you will need one cup of coffee infused <laughs> by the light of the full moon aka moon coffee <laughs> moon coffee i love Sounds it like moon water i like it you need an excerpt of your favorite passage from your favorite book oh. rewritten on parchment using your own blood as the ink Wow! I love that! <laughs> you need the feather or a lock of hair from a unicorn's mane yes. that was given to you with the unicorn's consent. I love that. If you stole it, I will not appear. She will come at you hard with a knife. And then you need to put Lana Del Rey's Mariner's Apartment yes. Complex on a loop until <laughs> I appear. And the final ingredient is a sprig of lavender for a sweet aroma and a little bit of luck. Yes! Yeah. I love it. I feel like I would also include for me feathers yeah. of any variety because I'm obsessed with feathers yeah. and birds and flying. Yeah. Angels. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, and it also kind of ties in with like Valkyries and yeah. yeah. You would you would you would come in on the chariot of a Valkyrie. Like a I would come chariot. in on fucking Freya's chariot with the fucking cats <laughs> yes. pulling it. Like you <laughs> bet you. I'd be like, Freya, I'm gonna need this for five minutes. Hear, I will bring it back. You would hear them meowing in the distance and like, No, they'd be yowling. They would not be meowing, they would be full on <laughs> It'd be Anya. Yeah, yeah, it'd be Anya just screaming. It'd be just thinning screams. A bunch of little Anyas. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would be so great. You're like, oh she's you did it, it worked. Yeah, she's coming. She's here. Yeah, she's here. <laughs> Do you hear that? It's cat on the wing dying <laughs> of drama. You oh, would just God. hear Anya, Anya to the left, you asshole. Oh, oh that's a good one. Yeah, one. yeah, that was a fun oh, yeah. question, and I, I definitely wanted to hear your perspective. Yeah, and then hear I like what that. you thought. Yeah, would summon you. Yeah. So. Did you like the full head of garlic? I love the full head of garlic. That's perfect. You need the whole thing. Yeah, you need like a fucking garland of garlic yes. on your neck. Yeah. And then a like a, a what are these called? What are these called? A garland? No, for the head. Like a crown. Jesus fucking Christ. A crown of. It's called a garland. Oh, not garland. Bird crown. 
But you are, but the crown of sunflowers. I like it. Yeah. I want to make next midsummer. We should make. We should make it. Yes. Garlic. And then we <laughs> should find a man to sew into a bear and burn him. Just kidding. <laughs> if you find a guy in a bear suit, it wasn't us. <laughs> I, I'm kidding for legal reasons. Yeah, for legal purposes, she is totally 100% just kidding. Oh. <laughs> and on that note. You have been listening to Difficult Damsels. You can find us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You just type in Difficult Damsels, the podcast, and we should show up. You can help our podcast out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on any podcast service that you listen to. And also just tell all your friends. Like, even if you don't do any of that, tell all your friends about us. Yes. (laughs) Tell all your friends. If anyone happens to mention liking history, you can be like, hey, I know a really cool podcast. Yeah. And if you guys have any suggestions on people you want us to cover, please please feel free to email. And Rachel will cover them. (laughs) (laughs) Cat looks away. Anyway, Um, thanks for listening and stay difficult. Stay difficult. Fuck yeah.